Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 13. Sort of a rather lengthy reading this morning. It says, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, and many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the disciples of John and the Pharisees used to fast. And they come unto him, saying, Why did the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast? But thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bridegroom or the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine in old bottles, else the new wine does burst the bottles, and the wine is spilt, and the bottles will be marred, but new wine must be put into new bottles. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and he was hungered, he and they that were with him? How they went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them that were with him? And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto them, The man, stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth straightway, took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. It's nearly Beltane. Uh, article in the Garden, uh, the Guardian newspaper said, and pagans all across the UK are getting ready to celebrate this pagan festival. Beltane's an occasion for a joyful ritual that marks the moment a spring bursts into life with fi- 
fires and flowers and garlands. Adrian Rook is a druid from the order of bards and druids. He said to be in a circle and to have a huge fire and to jump into the ashes into the summer is very life enchanting. Another one of the organizers of the festival says, it's really nice start of the year after the long cold winter. There's energy and stunning skies and ancient hinges and the events welcoming spirit. A full range from babies to old people, walkers and electric wheelchairs. The majority of people are pagans, but Wiccans and Christians are welcome too. Everybody's welcome as long as you keep your clothes on, they said. King Charles' coronation is about to, will be soon. And the reason for this article is that on his coronation invitation, the Guardian reported that there's an image of the green man, an ancient figure from British folklore, a symbol of spring and rebirth. As the royal website puts it, creating what one paper called paganism, a paganism row. They went on to talk about that half the, less than half the UK population now is our Christian, and anywhere from 74,000 to over 100,000 people are now um, pagans. You ask them what religion they are, and they say, well, I'm a pagan. Man is made to worship. Man is religious. It's in our hearts to worship. And as you can see over in Europe now, as this uh, story is reported, that Prior to Christianity coming to Europe, it was a pagan land. They had pagan kings. They had pagan rituals. And now, they're being drawn back to those old ways. That now, uh, the, the king will, um, as the guardian actually hopes, might have a pagan king once again. Why? Because men are made for worship. Like I said, it doesn't matter if you're a pagan, a Wiccan, a Christian. It doesn't matter. We'll welcome anybody as long as you worship something, as long as you have some type of religion. Well, that's everybody. We are made to worship. God made us. He has put it in our hearts to worship. But the problem is our hearts are crooked and we're bent toward, uh, bent in the wrong direction. So people will worship other people. They'll worship the earth, they'll worship false gods, they'll make up their own religion. They'll take true religion and reform it to make it suit their own desires. And so we have a whole world that is wrapped in darkness. A world that God created good and created man in his image that he would worship him and honor him and adore him and serve him and love him. And with the fall, man is cursed, and darkness is spread across the entire world. And that desire to worship is still there, but only now with the enmity to the, the God who created him. So you have the worship of spring. You have these pagan festivals that people get so excited about. And, and you have the worship of the earth and worship of, of uh, material things. Because we're living in a dark world. Well, that's the scene of the gospel as Jesus enters in uh, to this world. The Son of Man has come. Jesus, the God incarnate, is, has come into the world of darkness. 
And with the coming of Christ, the, king, the kingdom of God has changed everything. Light is being shined in the darkness. The mediator of the new covenant has brought joy and hope and light and salvation to the world. And Jesus didn't come into the world to reform it. He didn't come into the world to say, now you guys have some good things about you. Let's fix it and point it in the right direction. Or you have some, some good qualities. Let's, let's modify it a little bit. No, he came to make all things new. He came to bring life and light. Religion and worship is not the problem. The problem is all man-made religion is self-righteous and has no power to save. Jesus came to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to say that there is salvation. There is forgiveness of sins. There is a way to know God and to love God and to worship God. And he has come to preach and, and shine the light into this dark world. But what has happened with the newness of the kingdom is there's opposition. And that's what I'll be preaching about this morning, this, the newness of the, 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 the kingdom. And we see how the, the, the darkness has risen up against, um, against Christ. And their self-righteous, man-made religion is opposed to the gospel of Christ. And I can say that at the outset, that all self-righteous, all man-made religious religion is self-righteous and has no power to save. It can't do anything for you except condemn you. And so there's three stories here that, we, that I read, and all of them have that in common, that the old ways, the man-made religion is self-righteous and incapable of saving, but Jesus came in the newness of the kingdom of God preaching the gospel not to reform, but to make all things new. So the first story we'll call a dinner with a sinner. That's where we see Levi has come and, um, and invited Jesus to his house. Levi was a scoundrel. All tax collectors were scoundrels. Um, this past April, and uh, we all think that of the, the tax collectors, don't we? Uh, but in this time, it was worse. They really were scoundrels. Uh, they didn't do it just as a job or for civil service, but they did it to make money. And from what I understand, the tax collector had to give a certain amount of money to the guy above him. And so if he had to give the guy above him, let's just round it up to $1,000 a week, anything that that tax collector collected above that, he could keep it. So if he collected $1,200 a week, well, he could send 1000 up the chain, he'd keep 200 by himself. Well, they did that all the way up the, the ladder. So people just, they despise these guys as, as outlaws and thieves with the, the authority of the government behind them. They were, they were just scoundrels, Notor notorious sinners in the eyes of the Jews. Not only that, but they were collecting taxes not for the Jewish people, but for the Roman Empire. So you had uh, insult to injury where uh, Levi was taking money from Jews and sending it off to Rome. Well, Jesus comes and he calls Levi. 
Not because he was good, not because he saw potential in him, not because he was the outlaw with a heart of gold, as so many shows and movies and books have, the bad guy that was in a bad situation, but really deep down he was a pretty good guy. No, he was, he was a scoundrel. And Jesus chose him because he loved him. He was chosen of God before the foundation of the world. Jesus chose to save him. And like the fishermen, when Jesus called Levi, he dropped everything that he had and followed Jesus. He left his post and followed the Lord. He left his job to follow the Messiah. Peter and um, Andrew, James and John, that was a family business. I mean, anybody, if you had a boat and a net, you could go back to fishing. It's not like they had to go and get licensed to fish and, and work a job. Um, especially James and John, they could just go back with their dad and work. I'd say if you walked off the job as a tax collector and quit and left that all behind, it'd probably be hard to go back and get a job with the Roman government. But he left it. Left it forever and walked away from it because he... He's not the same Levi that he was. One man said, the call of Levi reveals one's position. Even shady reputation is not a liability when it comes to receiving and responding to the call of Jesus. He doesn't examine Levi's character, his genealogy, his interest, his evidence of commitment. No, the call to follow Jesus was extended to those who were assumed to be beyond the reach of religion's sanctification. Religion would leave Levi there and shake his head. Religion looks at Levi and says, he's a lost cause. He's a sinner. He's an outcast. Well, Jesus calls Levi, and he follows Levi's happy. They go back to his house, and, and perhaps Levi called his friends and his co-workers because there were many there. Publicans and sinners also came to eat. Well, Levi was a publican. It would make sense that his buddies would be publicans as well. A publican is just, if you think publican, public, public taxes. A publican is a tax collector. Um, and so there's a whole gang of them there. A whole gang of scoundrels there he comes. But Levi is not there. He's there to host Jesus. I want you to come and hear Jesus. Come to the house and celebrate with me. Celebrate what? Your retirement? Celebrate that you're no longer a publican? No, celebrating that I have been redeemed. Come and listen to my Savior. Come and listen to Jesus talk for a while. And listen to the grace that there is for sinners. So they all come to hear Jesus, and they're in the house, and Jesus is sitting there eating with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees saw that, and, he went, and uh, that just made them scratch their head. How is Jesus eating with this guy? The term Pharisee, that word means separated. And after the captivity back in the Old Testament, with the domination first of the Babylonians, and then Medes and the Persians and then the Greeks, there, that the culture of the world kept creeping in to the Jewish people. They were supposed to be separate people, right? They were supposed to be holy. 
eat certain things, talk certain ways, dress certain ways. Well, there was a group that were separatists. They were not going to get called into the culture. They were not going to be assimilated into Greek culture. They were going to uh, speak Hebrew. They were going to follow the law of God. They weren't going to get trapped into this uh, incremental creep of, of paganism into the Jewish culture. So it started out as a noble, with noble intentions. But any time you add to God's law and add to make, um, add because you think God's law is uh, deficient, then you're going to turn it into a self-righteous preoccupation with self. And so they became self-righteous with the law, and not only the law, but the tradition that surrounded its interpretation. So they weren't going to be like everybody else. They were going to live separate lives. And so they made sure that not only did they not cross the line, but they didn't even want to get close to the line. Their whole way of life was separated around being separate and different from people. And watching out for the, the minute details of the law and, and avoiding even appearances of doing the wrong thing. So they would, they would say, well, we're not only going to tithe, we're going to tithe, we're going to tithe our, our spices. We're going to go out to the garden and weigh how much mint we have. And, and you know, all of our even spices, we're going to tithe that. We're going to get down to the nitty-gritty details because we are, going to be dis- we are going to separate ourselves from those who don't keep the way. And when this happens, the Pharisees then viewed themselves as separate because they were better than other people. The Jew who was Hellenized, or the Jew that spoke Greek and, and had, was a, sort of absorbed into the Greek culture, where they, they, were, they were not a true godly people. They were people to be avoided. And so as the Pharisees separated themselves and added to the law all these traditions, then anybody who didn't follow their tradition was to be separated from. And so they built a fence. They had the law, and then they built a fence around the law, and they kept themselves in that fence. And anybody who didn't follow their ways, well, they, kept, they, they shunned them. They, they viewed them like you would view the leper and put them outside the camp, shunned and avoided at all costs. And the very idea that Jesus would sit down and eat with this publican just blew their mind, made them question Jesus altogether. Now, if he's a holy man, how's he going to eat with those people? Well, straightway we can see lots of problems with this. There's a difference between being separate and being hard-hearted. But they were this, they had turned God's truth into a self-righteous religion. So they questioned the disciples, and Jesus heard them. And I don't know what the disciples said, if anything. Maybe they didn't have an answer, but Jesus had an answer, and he answered with sort of parabolic statements. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Who needs a doctor? Sick people need doctors. And Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. He called, came to call sinners to repentance. Who needs to repent? Sinners need to repent. 
Who needs a doctor? Sick people need a doctor. So Jesus said, I didn't come. You're asking me why I eat with sinners? Why I eat with the publicans? Because I came to call sinners to repentance. You tell me how you can call sinners to repentance. Being inside the gates of your your self-righteous religion. Jesus isn't saying that they were without sin, but he flips it back on them. These people have sinned, and they know that they've sinned. They've broken God's law, and they know they've broken God's law. They're in need of mercy, and I came to save sinners. But you, on the other hand, don't think that you're a sinner. And that's why you don't understand why I came to eat with them. I know I'm half afraid to go to the doctor sometimes because I don't want to know what he might tell me. And that's, you know, that's kind of silly, I guess, because that doesn't change whether or not I'm sick or not. I just don't want to hear the bad news, if I would be. But it would be better, right, to, to know and you could get treatment. It'd be better to know the hard truth than, than to not know it. Well, the, the Pharisees and the sinners were sick and they didn't know it. And they didn't want to know it. And they said, well, I don't need a doctor. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm a Pharisee. I'm, I'm pure. I'm separate. Those people are the sinners. So their religion made them blind to their sinful condition. So they'd never come to Jesus for healing and salvation. Some people get involved in churches because they think that that's going to bring them salvation, it's going to bring them cover, that they're okay. And it makes them blind to their own sinful condition. And so why would I need to have salvation? It's those people out there that need it. And they view their religion as a means of of sanctification, but their religion doesn't have the power to do that. Well, you'd think that that would have sparked a conversation. You would have thought that that would have made them stop and say, well, wait a second, what are you saying about us? But no, they heard that. Well, speaking of eating... Let's talk about why you're eating to start with. So rather going into that touchy subject of who's a sinner and needing salvation and repentance, they started talking about food. And this happens a lot in the Gospels, and and I do that. I get focused on something that Jesus says and and thinking about that one phrase rather than the point that Jesus is making. Jesus will say something, he will answer a question, and we focus on one sentence or one thing in the reply, but not the point. So Jesus ate with sinners because he came to call sinners to repentance, to call them to turn from their sin and trust in him for salvation. Levi left the tax game and joyfully followed him in salvation, and he's calling other sinners to come and receive him as well, as you might have everlasting life. But what are the people focused on? Eating and fasting and eating and not eating. You're eating with sinners. You're eating at all. They're focused on who Jesus is eating with, the fact that he's eating, the fact that the disciples aren't like everybody else and they're not doing what the Pharisees and John's disciples are doing. They're, they're focused on all these outward things. Jesus saved this publican. He, he forgave him. Levi is a different man. We see them 
the miraculous nature of the new birth. And what do they all see? Laws and rules and regulations and do this and don't do that and, and, and we do it better and you're not doing it right. Pharisees fast all the time. So, so does John's disciples. How come you guys don't fast? This is an accusation, of course, saying that Jesus is not, he's inferior to the Pharisees. <clears throat> and they just missed the point, didn't they? Well, Jesus responds with three more um, parables or metaphors that answer this question. You know, we can do the same thing. I was thinking about this, that, that he said, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? And we could stop right there and start thinking about the bride and the bridegroom and what that means and what it doesn't mean. And go off on a tangent, not a tangent, but go off on a rabbit trail down that regard and start thinking about that and miss the whole point of what Jesus was saying. We could say, well, who is the bridegroom? And or if there's a bridegroom, who is the bride? And, and all those kinds of things. And we could go off and, and talk about that. And rightfully so, you can do that. But, but we could also miss what Jesus is saying. So what, why does Jesus bring this point out, first of all? Well, if a man's getting married, it's not a time for mourning, sorrow, and mortification. Well, it shouldn't be. I guess sometimes it... It can be, depending on who he's marrying, I guess. But it should be a time of joy and gladness, a time for feasting, not fasting. So Jesus said, why would someone at a wedding party be uh, fasting? I've never been to a wedding where, where there wasn't uh, feasting and celebration and happiness. Well, Jesus says the bridegroom's here. Why would, his, why would his buddies be all sad and depressed and fasting? Jesus is the object of their joy. He is the hope of their salvation. Levi has been saved. He's been born again. And he invites people to come and rejoice with him over what Christ has done for him. And he's happy. And he said, there's Jesus, my hope, the object of my joy, my salvation, my Lord, the Messiah, feast. John was looking for the Messiah, longing for him. The Pharisees added fasting to the law, which it wasn't there, but they made a law about how many times you had to fast a week. So they added to that. And so fasting became just one more thing that they had to do. Whether they were mourning or in sorrow or prayer, it was just another habit, another law. And Jesus said, why would people rejoicing in salvation um, mourn and fast? doesn't make any sense. They didn't understand because they didn't see any joy in Christ. Religion doesn't see any joy in Christ. It's amazing to me that people are, are um, starting to adopt the practice of Lent. There's many Protestants, 
some Baptist churches are starting to practice Lent, uh, 40 days of giving up something, uh, self-mortification. Well, it's just adding to the law. It's adding burdens upon people to make them uh, under another religious law. It, it boggles the mind that we would do that, uh, that, that people would do that, who have freedom and liberty in Christ. Now, Jesus said it don't, won't always be that way for them. The days are going to come soon when these disciples are mourned. And he's, this is the first foreshadowing of the cross. Jesus knows what's going to happen to him. He knows that they're going to take him up and kill him. And it's interesting, at the, we get to the end of this, that, that he points this out, but that's what he's saying. I am with them, so they rejoice, and whenever I'm gone, they'll mourn. But I am the center of their joy. Religion takes these outward acts and makes them the center. Jesus said, I am the center. And the fact that Jesus calls himself a bridegroom shouldn't be missed. Isaiah 54, Isaiah 62 refer to God as the bridegroom. And we know Revelation 19 tells us that Jesus is. And so these, these passages, Jesus is referring to himself in terminology that the Old Testament refers to only the Lord God. And so Jesus is saying, I am here, the bridegroom. Isaiah 54 and 62 speak of God their maker as the bridegroom, that he loves them, the center of their joy. Why would they mourn and fast while he is with them? He's making things new. He's not going back the old ways. He's making things new, better. The next example is like sewing a piece of old cloth on an old garment. The new cloth is strong and sturdy. The old cloth has a tear in it because it's not sturdy anymore. Brittle. So you sew that new patch on, and what's going to happen? It's going to tear again, but where is it going to tear? It's going to tear on the outside of the patch. And so the patch, the holes will get bigger. Then you have to get a bigger patch and you have to put it over and then on and on and on. So in effect, Jesus says you make matters worse. You don't make it better, you make it worse. New wine is still fermenting. If you take a gallon of apple cider, put it in the milk jug, and set it to the side, you know what will happen after a short time? That thing will uh, swell up like a balloon. Because all that fermentation that's happening, the gases are being released, and it's going to bust the jug. Then you're going to have a busted jug, and you're going to have no apple cider. Well, the same thing with these wineskins. A new wineskin has elasticity. It'll stretch, and the new wine will ferment, and it'll swell. But an old wineskin's already stretched to its capacity. It's not going to stretch anymore. And you put new wine in the old wineskin, it's going to bust. Then you don't have a wineskin, and you also don't have any wine. That's simple enough. Jesus didn't come to patch up the old covenant. He didn't come to reform and correct the Pharisees, what they had gotten wrong. He didn't come to put the new covenant in old covenant skins. He didn't come to join with the Pharisees and help them to be better. He didn't come into this world to, to put a patch on the paganism and, and 
and form it in the right direction. He didn't come to say, well, I know you worship um, all these pagan gods. Well, let's Christianize it and baptize it and we'll patch it up. No, he came to save sinners, establish a new covenant, and bring the kingdom of God to the earth. He came into the darkness not to, to patch and to put old things or new things in old things. He came to make all things new. So we shouldn't try to make Jesus fit into our preconceived notions of who he is and what he came to do. He came to bring new wine. He came to bring joy. He came to bring uh, the kingdom of God. And nothing quite makes the point as the next two stories. So we had a dinner with a sinner, and now we're going to look at some criminal corn. The next two stories have one point. Sabbath controversies. Nothing would get the religious Jews fired up like a Sabbath controversy. We read before the service of uh, um, in Exodus 31.17 that the Sabbath was a sign between God and the children of Israel forever. It distinguished them from the Gentiles. And that was something that God just said, do. You're going to have this seventh day of rest. And so if you have something that distinguishes Jew from Gentile, if you have something that is the sign between the children of Israel and, and everybody else, well, you know the Pharisees are going to like this. That's what, they're separate. And here's a law that was all about being separate. This was their bread and butter. Sabbath, Sabbath is just at rest. And so you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to travel. You're not supposed to even build a fire. And you're, you're supposed to rest. You work six days and then you rest on the Sabbath. What kind of work? You ever been in a discussion about this? You know that this is immediately where, it, where it'll go. Someone will say, we can't work on the Sabbath. And somebody said, well, okay, what kind of work? Then there'll be a big discussion about what defines work, what's allowable and not allowable. And people will make up rules and they'll make up lists. And these are the things that you can do. And these are the things that you can't do. And it'll get down into the nitty-gritty and the fine details. And that's what happened with the Jews. They would debate. We're not allowed to work. Well, technically, what's work? One scholar said the Pharisees had 39 different categories of work. That's how intricate they got down into the weeds on this. They had 39 categories, not 39 uh, jobs, 39 categories of work. And then they would, they would say, well, you can do this type of work, but you can't do this type of work, and on and on. Long and short of it is that they had the, the covenant, they had the law of the Sabbath, and then they went out and built a fence all the way around it. The law was the fence. But they said, well, we don't want to get too far, close to the fence. We're going to, we're going to build a, a wall to keep us from even getting close to breaking it. That might be a good idea for you, maybe. If you're tempted to look at sinful images on the internet, well, it might be a good idea. It would be a wise thing to, to put a fence up and say, well, maybe I just don't even need this, or maybe I'm going to put the computer in a place, a public place, where everybody else can be around, and that'll, that'll be an added fence. 
And some people say, well, I don't want to have a TV in my house. There's too much temptation. Well, that's fine if you don't want to have a television in your house. That's wise for you. But that's not, you can't make that a law for everybody. Well, that's what the Pharisees did. They said, well, I, can't, I think we ought to, to not even get close to the law, so we're going to add more to the law to keep us far from it, and then they made that a law for everybody else. And then if you didn't follow their traditions, then you were breaking the law. They had laws to keep them from getting too close to the edge, and then they made that tradition the law. Well, here we get to the criminal corn. They were walking along, and they passed through a wheat field. The word corn in English, of course, is just, it, it means any type of plant with seeds in it. So wheat, corn, barley, corn, rye, corn, the yellow stuff that we have on the cob, all are corn. So they weren't picking corn on the cob, they were picking wheat. <clears throat> well, anyway, they grabbed the head, rubbed it together, and their hands likely ate it. And the Pharisees say, hey, why are you guys breaking the law? You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath day. Well, Jesus didn't care about their debates, and he, had, he just had no time for it. He, he didn't even want to get into it because he had no interest in the fine details of their points and what was allowed and wasn't allowed by their tradition. He had no interest in going along with man-made religion. He didn't come to submit himself to the traditions of men. He didn't come to put new wine in old wineskins, and he didn't come to put patches um, on old garments. And so Jesus says, well, haven't you read where David, when, when he was running from Saul, went to the house of God, he and his men, and he, he ate the bread on the table with showbread? That was only for the priest. You never read that? David and his men were hungry. They didn't have any food. And the priest gave him that showbread. How do you explain that? Well, the answer is they couldn't explain it. Their self-righteous system had no grace. And they had no way to answer why it was okay that David and his men were allowed to eat it. They couldn't say why God allowed David to eat that showbread when he wasn't supposed to be eating it. And the reason was their system had no mercy. Their religion, their self-righteousness, centered around rules and regulations and not around God. So Jesus is saying, you would have let David starve to death in order to protect the law. But the Bible doesn't view David as sinning in that story. But you do. You view David as a sinner in that story. But God, the word of God doesn't. How do you answer that? Well, they can't answer it. Their self-righteous system can't. Well, he said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath was for the good of man. God instituted the Sabbath not for men to be servants of the Sabbath, but by the Sabbath, man would be blessed. I always thought only a depraved heart could take a day off, a mandatory day of rest, and make it a burden. Think about that. God said, I want you to just relax one day a week. I don't want you to do anything. And what immediately, what, people, what do people want to do? Well, they want to do, do stuff. Can you imagine that? You work six days a week grumbling about having to work, and God says, I want you to rest and just not do anything. And then, wow, I want to do stuff. I don't want to sit around all day. <laughs> Only a depraved heart could take something good and make it a burden. Well, 
That's what Jesus said. The Sabbath was made for man. It was a blessing for men. Man was not made to be servants of the Sabbath. And what you have done is you have taken you have taken the law, you've taken the Sabbath, and made that men to serve it. He said the Lord, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Because they may have said, well, David was a lawgiver. That's why he was the king. Or is it God's anointed. And so as God's anointed, he could do as the Lord led him. Led him, And so the Lord led him there. The Lord led him to eat the showbread. The Lord allowed it because David was the anointed. And he was the lawgiver. So Jesus said, therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the greater David. He is the Lord's anointed. He is the Lord that David referred to in Psalm 16. Jesus is a greater David. And he said, and if David could go and eat that showbread, I can eat this on the Sabbath. First of all, the Sabbath is not my Lord. I am the Lord over the Sabbath. Second of all, the Sabbath was made for man, for a blessing for men in this covenant side, not the other way around. And as the Lord of the Sabbath, I am the interpreter of the law, Jesus says. Jesus, the Son of Man, referring to his divinity, I am the expert in the law. I know the purpose of the Sabbath. I know what the Sabbath breaking is and what Sabbath keeping is. The Son of the Man is the Lord, the ruler, the king, and the lawgiver. And he's not going to sew a new patch on an old garment. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He came to make all things new. He didn't come to force his people in this new kingdom under a sign of an old covenant. He's come to make all things new. But again, the Pharisees missed the point. The focus remains on the Sabbath, what you can do and what you can't do. And this next story pushes it a little bit further. You got withered hands and a hard heart. So Jesus enters the synagogue. There's a man there. His hand was all dried up. It, it didn't work. It was crippled in his hand. There was no life left in it. The people saw Jesus come in the synagogue. They saw this man, and they said, I wonder if he's going to heal him. In fact, they hoped that he would. Why? Because they wanted to accuse him of doing wrong. You know, that's just really gross, isn't it? Here's this man. His hand doesn't work. Can't use his hand. They know Jesus can heal. And they say, oh, I hope Jesus heals him. Not because this man is suffering. Not for the glory of God. Oh, I hope he heals him because that way we can accuse him of working on the Sabbath day. That's just despicable, isn't it? Hard hearts. Well, he tells the guy to stand up and he stands up and everybody's looking at him and Jesus and, and he says, okay, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day? Or is it lawful to do evil on the Sabbath day? Is it lawful to save a life or to kill? And they held their peace. Why? Because their system can't answer this question. Legalism and Phariseeism at its core can offer no mercy and no grace. All man-made religion is self-righteous to the core. It can never offer grace. It's about keeping the rules. Who in their right mind would say it was lawful to kill somebody on the Sabbath day? Well, nobody would, obviously. 
Who in their right mind would say that it's not lawful to save a life or to do good? Well, the obvious answer, it's unlawful to kill somebody. And why would it be bad to do good on the Sabbath? But the Pharisees had made it illegal and unholy for Jesus to do what he's about to do. They said, no, you can't do good. You can't heal on the Sabbath day because then you'll be breaking the laws. And Jesus said, okay, so you're saying it's unlawful to do good. Is that what your system is saying? It's unlawful? It'd be better that this man suffer? It'd be better to kill a man than to break your rules? Well, they held their peace, and that made Jesus mad. He was angry at the hardness of their hearts. They didn't answer because they couldn't answer without seeing their folly, so they just refused to say anything. So this man-made religion had set a fence around God's law, and it it locks you and keeps you from seeing the Savior. Sure, their Sabbath laws would keep them from breaking the Sabbath, according to their interpretation, but in fact, Jesus has shown them, no, your Sabbath laws are are keeping you, are, are causing you to break the law of God. You would rather a man suffer and die than to go against your tradition. So you will keep your tradition, but do evil at the same time. So that should show them that their system is faulty. Worked out to its logical conclusion, their self-righteousness was wicked. And that's what Jesus is showing them here. But they saw that, and rather than seeing the folly of their system, they hardened their hearts. The unregenerated heart didn't care about their fellow man. They didn't care if he stayed handicapped. They didn't care if Jesus healed him or when he healed him. They didn't rejoice when the man was restored. They were angry that Jesus poked a hole in their tradition. The unregenerate heart did not and could not rightly keep the law or interpret the law. They refused correction. They refused instruction. And their heart was full of murder. Well, what did they do? They sought to destroy Jesus. And one interesting thing here Who were the Pharisees? They were separatists. And who did they go to in verse number six? And they went forth straightway and took counsel with the Herodians. Herod was not a Jew. His family were not Jewish. They were were, uh, proselytes and a compromise with the Roman government. Herodians were not religious, but they were politicians. So the Pharisees' whole thing was about being strict and religious and following the law of God. And whenever Jesus shows them the truth, they join forces with a political group that has no connection to religion at all and in order that they might murder somebody. So this group of separatists who were so holy that they couldn't sit down and eat with a publican joined forces You know, they'd be separate from Levi, the sinner. They'd be separate from them. They wouldn't eat with the Gentile. Goodness knows. But they would join forces with a political group to plot murder because it promoted 
and, and went along with their uh, tradition. Hypocrites. Self-righteous, legalistic hypocrites. The man with the withered hand was nothing compared to these men with withered souls. These, these stories were, remember, you had the, the man that was paralyzed and the man with a withered hand. One man couldn't walk, one man couldn't work. And in between these, you just see how weak and unable the Jews' self-righteousness was to get them to God. And I think those two stories sort of illustrate man-made religion and self-righteousness. That you can't walk, you can't work, you can't do anything. Helpless. But Jesus came to save sinners, to bring joy and to teach truth and establish a new covenant full of joy and mercy and salvation and fellowship with God. There is peace with God in Christ. There is no peace in tradition and man-made religion. Come to him and find rest for your souls. The real and lasting Sabbath in Christ. Come to me and you'll find rest. You go there, you'll find legalism and self-righteousness. The old wineskins and the old garments sought to keep people under the law, which they couldn't understand, let alone keep. They didn't call sinners, but they shunned them. They didn't rejoice, but they mourned. They didn't bring good or do good and bring life and healing and salvation, but they brought death and law and condemnation. This is the choice that says before us this morning, the law or gospel, death or life, the greater David or the religion of the self-righteous. Jesus has come to set us free. Jesus has come to give us life. Come to Christ and find the true, the true um, way of salvation.